Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We're in Revelation. We're in the middle of these letters to the seven churches. We uh, he, he writes... Um, Jesus is speaking to His seven churches there in, in Asia Minor. And if we remember before we began the first letter, Jesus presents Himself in all of His glory. He has white hair that, it, that reminds us of, of how He is just ageless. He is from eternity past. He is the Son of Man that sit before the angel, ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7, who was given a kingdom and authority. A kingdom that would last forever. He, he was wearing a long robe that went down to his feet and a golden sash. And he had eyes like flames of fire. That's one of the things we see tonight. In each of those letters, we see how each letter... To each church here is, is pointing out some of the characteristics we see in that first chapter. And tonight, we see Jesus as the one who has eyes of flames of fire. Just think about what that means. He sees everything. There is nothing outside of His gaze. And when we meet together here, sometimes we might want to put on a good face. Sometimes we might want to present our best. But we know what's going on in our own life, in our own heart. And Jesus knows. Because He does have those eyes of flaming fire that sees all. And while we may want to hide things, Jesus sees it all. Let's read our text from Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works were exceeded the first. But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. 
And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear you speak to us. Or that you would make your word come alive to us tonight. It is the living and abiding word already. Lord, help us to experience that. As we gaze into your word, as we seek and savor you. Lord, let us have ears to hear, to be obedient. Lord, to hold fast to your name. Father, be with me, a sinner. Lord, help me. I need your grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as in all of the letters, Jesus begins the same way. He says, And to the the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. And he does something that he doesn't do in the other letters. He begins by saying the words of the Son of God. Now, we know what he means. We might just pass over that without giving it a whole lot of thought because we know, you know, he's Jesus. He's God's Son, of course. But he didn't say that in all of the other letters. In in the letter to Ephesus, he didn't call himself the Son of God. In the letter to Smyrna, he didn't call himself the Son of God. In the letter to Pergamum, he didn't do do that. But here he draws attention to this. And we didn't see this in the description in chapter 1. But we see it here. He calls himself the Son of God. And I think this points to his authority, particularly because it matches up with what we see at the end. When we see the end of this, what does he promise to believers who overcome? He promises them authority. So whenever we see here Jesus is the Son of God, I think we should think back to the promise of, I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David is promised a son who would sit on his throne forever, and then God says to David, he will be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. When we think of the Son of God, that ought to be one of the things we think about. It is the Son of David, the Messiah, the one who came and who sits on the Davidic throne. Because God said He would be a father to this messianic figure who would one day come, who would crush the serpent's head. When Jesus says the words of the Son of God, He is pointing to His authority. He is kingly, and He rules in His church. He commands His church what to do, and they obey. Then we've already talked a little bit about this, but he says, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. 
We all want to be liked. We all want to um, be popular, so to speak. And because of that, we all tend to put our best foot forward. We, we, want to, we want everybody to think good things about us, and we don't want them to think bad things about us. But Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Jesus knows everything that we have done, said, or even thought. We might think that we can do something in a corner that nobody knows about except for us, but Jesus, who has eyes like flames of fire, sees that. And Jesus sees every single thought of our heart. And we may be able to, to speak in flattering ways and, and try to, to win someone over by telling them how good they are. But Jesus sees to our heart. And He knows we cannot pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. And then he says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I think this points to the purity of Jesus. You know, you think whenever you're making burnished bronze, you, you heat it up and heat it up and all the impurities go out. The burnished bronze feet of Jesus points to His purity. He is absolutely pure. Whenever He looks at each one of us, it's like an x-ray and He sees all of our impurities, every single hidden thought of our hearts. But whenever we look at Jesus, we see absolute purity. Nothing wrong with Him. Absolutely pure. Absolutely sinless. He is perfect in every way. After describing himself just like he does with all the other churches, he begins to speak directly to them. And five out of these seven churches, he calls them to repentance. And this is one of those. But he begins by telling them what they're doing right. He says, I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. They're a church that exhibits the fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? You see love. They're serving one another. They're loving one another. They have patience. They endure under hardships. These are the kinds of, of people that are good. His servants, His believers there in that church, they worked hard. Yet, just like in five of those seven churches, he has something against them. I think this is the main point of the text here. Verse 20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I don't believe that there was an actual person in that church of Thyatira that was named Jezebel. No, I think he was pointing back and saying, this false teacher here is like Jezebel. Jezebel was a foreigner. She was not an Israelite. She was not one of God's people, but she infiltrated. She married the king of Israel. And 
Ahab, this king of Israel, he was the king of Israel, not Judah. He was the king in the north, the very tribe that had pulled away from and rejected the son of David. And what does this Jezebel do? She entices people to come and follow after other idols and to leave behind the true Lord. This is what this false teacher is doing in the church in Thyatira. I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and seducing my servants. When we looked at the church of Pergamum last week, they had a very similar problem. They had some among them who held the teachings of the Nicolaitans, who were uh, following after Baal or uh, Balaam, who uh, tolerated sexual immorality and idol worship. And what does Jesus tell them to do? Practice church discipline, I think. How are they supposed to repent of tolerating within their midst this false teaching? The only thing you can do is exclude them. I believe that last week we're looking at a case where Jesus is telling them, practice church discipline. They need to confront this false, these false teachers and give them an opportunity to repent. Or, and then confront them along with someone and give them an opportunity to repent. And if they don't, then exclude them. Here, it looks like that's what Jesus is calling them to do as well. I have this against the, you, that you tolerate this woman Jezebel. It is known. It is clear. This is a false teacher among their midst. She's uh, leading people to uh, commit sexual immorality and to eat some food sacrificed to idols. When we think about Paul, and he talks about this issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And, and it can be kind of confusing. Well, what's the big deal? In, in, in some places, Paul says not to. And in other places, he says, well, we know there's nothing really real about, about all this, these gods and things like that. There's nothing really real behind those. We know. So if you're strong, you, you, you can eat those things and you're not violating your conscience. I think probably the, what the problem is here is these people had come from a pagan background. They may have been practicing these, these uh, uh, practices of, of idolatry while they were eating this food sacrificed to idols. And this false teacher was coming in and saying, well, there's no problem with this. Go ahead. And they were violating their own conscience by participating, by eating these things. She was teaching them to come in and, and violate their consciences to eat this food sacrificed to idols. And we think here about uh, how they were. she was leading them astray into sexual immorality. We think about our culture today. How so many Christian churches or so-called Christian churches and denominations are beginning to be accepting to a different morality. The Christian church in all denominations in every sphere throughout 2,000 years has had a, a, a clear sexual ethic. Sex is to be kept for marriage alone. Within the marriage confines, anything outside of that, even to think and to desire something outside of that marriage context is sin. And today, 
We have forces from our culture and even some who call themselves Christians to, to say, oh, well, it's really not that big of a deal. How can you say there's, well, you know, how can you judge someone's love for another person? And it's twisting what Christians have taught for 2,000 years and what was the biblical ethic for millennia before then. We have those kinds of false teachers today. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I think this goes along with this, this church discipline theme. How did Jesus give her time to repent? Well, maybe. This may be a little bit speculative, but just hear me out. Maybe by Jesus giving her time to repent, there were those within the church who did not hold her teaching, who recognized it was a false teacher, who came and confronted this false teacher. But she didn't repent. And maybe they had a second round where they, they had a few people go as witnesses and they confronted this false teacher, but she still didn't repent. And then maybe they, they brought it before the whole church. But yet for some reason or another, they did not exclude this false teacher. Maybe this false teacher had, had drawn along too many disciples of her own and they didn't have a majority. Whatever the case, time had been given. This false teacher had been told to repent and she refused. Jesus then begins to take matters in His own hands. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into tribulation, unless they repent of her works. Jesus says, If you aren't going to do anything about this, church of Thyatira, I will. And Jesus can do that because He is the one with eyes like flames of fire who sees into the depths of our hearts who we cannot hide anything. He says, church, if you're not going to do anything about this, I will take matters into my own hands. He says He's going to throw this false teacher, Jezebel, and her disciples, those who commit adultery with her, I think this is probably talking about uh, those who, who are um, following along with her. I'm going to throw those on a sickbed. He's going to bring tribulation and trials. And, and then he even ups the ante in the next verse. Verse 23 says, I will strike her children dead. We don't like to think about that. That shocks us about Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, you know, we want to think about Jesus as, as Jesus, meek and mild. We want to think of Him as that, that, that uh, uh, precious moments shepherd. We want to think of, of Jesus as the one who, who welcomes children. But we don't like to think about this, but this, just, this is what Jesus says about Himself. He, it shocks us. You know, if we don't get shocked about what Jesus says, if we don't sh get shocked about things that are in His Word, then we aren't really paying attention. If we're paying attention to what Jesus says in His Word, we're going to be shocked sometimes. 
And if we don't, it's probably because we're just going on what we've always been taught, what we've always thought, whatever our traditions are, but whenever we confront the living Lord in His Word, He will shock us. And here He says, I will throw her, I will strike her children dead. Now what does this mean? I think this is talking about her disciples. This, this uh, false teacher has drawn away many disciples to herself, just like in um, Acts chapter 20, whenever Paul is warning the Ephesian church that someday there will be false teachers who will come and be like wolves, who are, savage wolves who will not spare the flock, and they will draw away many disciples for themselves. Jesus here, I think, whenever he says he will strike her children dead, are talking about their those disciples that these old that these uh, false teachers have made for themselves. Anybody who's implicated in her sin, Jesus is going to take care of it Himself. Then, He says, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Why does Jesus do something so drastic? Why will Jesus come and throw these false teachers into tribulation and even strike their children dead? So that the church will know who Jesus is. Isn't that what it says? And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. When Jesus does that, when He acts on His own behalf for the sake of His church and the purity of His church, everybody around will see. All these other churches will see and they will know that Jesus is the One who searches the hearts and the minds. He will demonstrate His power. You know, that's what happened in the Old Testament. You know, when, when they, they sinned in the Old Testament in numbers and things like that, what would happen to those? Like Achan, you know, who, who all he did, in our minds, we, we think of it as a small thing. All he did was save back a little bit of the, the, the spoil whenever they went into Jericho. But what happened? Jesus, or the Lord, killed him and all of his family because of how serious his sin was. And that points forward to how serious Jesus is. If we don't take it into our own hands, Jesus will. And in order to show that He sees everything, maybe we don't see all the details. Maybe we don't see everything we wished we saw, but Jesus does. Jesus does. It says He will render He will give to each one according to his works. Actually, I will give to each of you according to your works. We await a judgment. Jesus is one day coming in judgment and we will get what he has determined we deserve. How does that fit with the Gospel? There will be a punishment that is meted out on all those. But there is a rescue. There is a remedy. 
And that is faith in Jesus, repentance, turning to Him. And all those who flee to Him, that punishment that we deserve is laid on Him. The door is open. Repentance is pleaded. We turn from those things. When we think of other people, when we think of um, other people's sin, we could be tempted to think, well, I'm more deserving than that other person. Just like we sang, we get to heaven one day, we stand before Him at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to think, why was I a guest? And it's only because Jesus took what we deserve on Himself. Verse um, 24. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. I think Jesus may be talking here to those who were starting the discipline process. Those who, who tried, who confronted this false teacher. They were the ones who were not holding to this false teaching. And Jesus says, I don't hold anything against you. I'm not laying on you any other burden. Just hold fast. Hold on to what you have. And then, Jesus says, in verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. What we do in this life is training for the next one. Jesus says, the one who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. What is Jesus calling the church to do here in the last church we looked at in Pergamum and this week in Thyatira? They're, Jesus is calling them to exercise authority. And when they do so rightly by practicing church discipline, by taking membership seriously, Jesus says, I will give you authority over the nations. To the one who overcomes, to the one who in spite of all the pressures against it, to the one who overcomes and does what Jesus is calling them to in spite of the, of the fears and whatever else might make us afraid to do it, He promises to the one who overcomes authority. Authority over the nations. I think this is actually pointing forward to what uh, is called the millennium. Uh, if you look at Revelation chapter 20, we we, there's this uh, thing called the millennium. Whenever Jesus comes back again, He will set up an earthly kingdom that will last for a thousand years. I think that when, when, when we die, we are immediately present with the Lord, but when, we, when He comes again, we will be raised 
from the dead. We will be ruling and reigning with Him in this millennium. Jesus here is saying, if you've overcome, I will give you authority over the nations. That's when. When He comes again, we will be living out a life reigning with Jesus over the nations. Then next, Jesus says, and I will give the morning star. I will give him the morning star. What is that? In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, and you can look that up if you want. Jesus says, I am the root of David and the morning, the bright morning star. So when Jesus here says, the one who overcomes, I will give him the morning star, he's saying, I will give him myself. And that points back to Numbers. Whenever Balaam, the prophet we talked about last week, prophesied in chapter 24 of a star that would come from Jacob. Or I can't remember. I don't have it memorized. But there was a star that would come. That's Jesus. It was a prophecy looking forward to His coming. So when Jesus here promising, just like He's promised in each one of them, He gives us a promise so that we can endure, so that we can keep going. He's promised other things. He's promised you know, to be able to uh, eat from the tree of life. He's promised that, that those who overcome or those who conquer will not be hurt by the second death. He's promised that those who overcome will receive hidden manna and a stone with His name on it that no one else knows, this intimacy with the Father. But He also promises authority and He promises to give Himself to have Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is the prize. Just to have Him. And He ends this the same as He ends all of the other letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is speaking to us through His Word. You know, someone might ask, well, who runs the church? Who runs the church? Is it the preacher? Is it the board of deacons? No, it's Jesus. Jesus is in charge. He is the King. And He rules us by speaking to us through His Word. And we have no other choice than to bow before Him. He speaks to us today. This is not a dead book. It is not just an ancient relic. We open it and we hear from our Lord. And we hear exactly what He wants us to hear. So let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.